so grateful to Aiden for preaching last week and for his inspiration for this month's worship theme of these four loves. I'm grateful to you, Aiden, for your great sermon in which you unpacked these four kinds of love, affection, friendship, romance, and charity, or agape. And I'm grateful to you, Aiden, for preaching so I could go on vacation. Is it too forward to say, since our theme is love, say, I love you, man. <laughs> and so grateful. <laughs> A couple of months ago, I was in the car with some retired UU ministers heading to Boston for the board meeting of an organization that we serve. I was in the back seat with a friend named Brad, and we were talking about church, of course. And he said something that has stayed with me. He said, it seems that every sermon I hear lately ends up talking about love, saying that whatever the problem is, well, the answer is love. That if we have more love and act with love and stand on the side of love, then things will be okay. He paused and then he said, but I want and need preachers to give me something more tangible than that. Brad, who is a religious humanist, seems to be picking up on what Aiden observed last Sunday, that since the Enlightenment, people have started to attribute to love the qualities that folks once ascribed to God, especially in this tradition where we can be rather skittish around that three-letter name for the holy they, that most common name for that fathomless mystery in which we live and move and have our being. The invitation is to be specific, right? Or more specific. I am partial to our universalist tradition's description of God as that love that will not let us go. The faith that says we belong to a source, a force that is always with us, always silently companioning us, whether we like it or not. There's an old, old sermon I should go back and read by a universalist minister called Dragged, Kicking, and Screaming into Heaven, which asserts that Universalist faith in a God who is so loving that even the most reluctant and irascible person will end up in that place imagined as heaven. I'm all for making the holy as accessible as possible, right? But I'm also realizing that I could stand to be more specific. Thank you, Aiden, for that encouragement. For example, as I tried to talk with our children about this morning, when we say love is the doctrine of this church, 
We're talking about our intentions and our actions here, right? We're saying that the foundation of this congregation is for its people to act with charity and with selfless love. This is love on the human level, okay? But when we sing one of my favorite hymns, it's number 10 in the hymnal, Immortal Love. Words by John Greenleaf Whittier. These words, immortal love, forever full, forever flowing free. We are singing about God, right? That spirit. Today, I want us to reflect on the human level, mostly on our human intentions and actions, specifically that mushy word, love, which is so central, love is, to our human connections and well-being, but which so often gets portrayed as like magic, doesn't it? Like a cure-all. If only we had more love, then everything would be okay. But there's not a magic wand we can wave or just zap somebody or zap the whole world with love, right? No, as much as we might wish that to be true. The only way to have more love and more goodness in our relationship, relationships and in our world and in ourselves is to be mindful about this and to be vigilant about this, to be more aware of our intentions and our actions. The way to have more love is to work at it. It helps to start, I think, with acknowledging that we, all of us, have plenty to learn about love and that this is a lifelong project. There's a folk song that I, that I love. It's about a relationship between two people, and it has this line, I am sorry, oh how I'm sorry, for I have learned just how little that I know. I have learned just how little that I know. And isn't it true that those who are closest to us are often the ones who are best at pointing this out, how little that we know, whether we want them to or not? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Years ago, my friend Don, who has since died of a heart attack, he introduced me to Robert Hayden's poem based on Hayden's own upbringing, those winter Sundays. Don and I were walking toward a river. We were fishing buddies. And we were talking about our fathers. And he thought of Hayden's poem because it reminded him of his own dad. Sundays, too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black blue cold. Then with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather, made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold splintering, breaking, 
When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house. Speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? What did I know? What do we know of life and love? I think of these lines from Thomas Wolfe, the bard of my home state, North Carolina, who wrote, which of us has known his brother? Which of us has looked into his father's heart? Which of us has not remained forever prison-pent? Which of us is not forever a stranger and alone? I know I'm more on the glass half empty or glass a quarter empty or glass almost completely empty this, this Sunday, but stay with me. Because it's true, isn't it, that this loneliness and this disconnection, it is part of our human condition. We all experience it at least some of the time. We need one another, but how often do we fail at making the human connections that we crave? What do we really know of love? You must be able to think of someone in your life whom you find it hard to love. There are people in each of our lives that we could say, I love them, but I don't like them very much, right? You must know people that you'd like to help, but you don't know how. And maybe they don't know how to ask for the help that they need or put themselves in that place where they can receive it. Conversations and connections between individuals and family members and friends, these are hard enough, right? But what about the even wider levels? What about relations between communities, particularly diverse communities? And what about relationships between nations? Is it a miracle that we're doing as well as we are? Maybe. Okay, here is at least a little hopeful and helpful part, hopefully helpful. I believe that it is by acknowledging our limitations, by being aware of our unknowing, that we put ourselves into a place of greater humility and greater vulnerability. And it is from this place that we can begin to learn more about how to love. We just sang, just as long as my heart beats, I must answer yes to love. Disappointment 
pierced me through, still I kept on loving you. If they ask what I did best, tell them I said yes to love. Here in this hymn, love is not flowers or chocolates or cute cards, as wonderful as all those things are. Here, love is hanging in when it might be easier to go. Here, love is feeling that deep disappointment, but still saying yes to what is possible, to what is hoped for, saying yes to the idea of love. So here's my start at a more down-to-earth description of love. Love is telling the truth as kindly as possible. Love is admitting you never know another person's whole story. You're aware that your perspective is always limited and incomplete. Love is saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Can you forgive me? Love is being aware of your own limitations and still holding on to hope. This is, of course, just the start. It's an incomplete list, and I wonder about you. Do you have something to offer? How would you say what this kind of love is? Anybody willing to say something out loud? Love walks alongside you. Love walks alongside you. What's the first part? Love is Love is helping other people even when you have a million other things to pay attention to. Valerie. Love is your dog. Love is your dog. There's a whole thing about this because, you know, dog spelled backwards. Love is dog and dog is love. I don't really, anyway. Thank you. Carol. Love is taking your turn changing the diaper without complaining about it. <laughs> Love is taking your turn changing the diaper without complaining about it. Both of you. Love is my kittles. Love is my kittles. Love is learning to understand. Love is learning to understand. Love is being there when you when you're needed. Yeah, so. Everyone with James Baldwin while it's still February. Love takes off the masks we fear we cannot live without, but no, we cannot live within. James Baldwin. Love is taking off the masks we feel we cannot live without, but feel or know we cannot live within. 
Wow, you guys. Thank you. Love is rocking your baby in church. Love is rocking your baby in church. And knowing and trusting your baby is always welcome here. Thank you. Love is forgiving. Love is forgiving. I could probably stop right there, but I've got a little bit more. When we zoom out beyond the personal and interpersonal, I don't think I'm going to ask you because you've already said so many lovely things. I wonder about the question I asked our young people. What do we mean when we confirm that love is the doctrine of this church? We could apply much of what you said about that to how we try to, to be a congregation and be in relationship here, can't we? How we put this into practice. But does anybody want to say how you hear that? Love is the doctrine of this church. Is it what, is it what you just said? Or is there anything else?